your God and God alone, Lord. There's no God before you, there's none beside you, and there'll come none after you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We give you thanks for your presence that's in this house today. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We lift up your name. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, let's keep this mindset of worship. Uh, children, kids, men, youth classes, you may dis be dismissed at this time, please. Please, uh, please walk out quietly, children. turn our attention onto the word of the Lord here. Thank you, Jesus. So good to feel the presence of the Lord in this house. And nice that it's continuing what we felt. What a, what a ministry of the word that we had on Wednesday night from Brother Chris Smothers, uh, who was here. Thank you, everybody that is here. So glad to see visitors. Brother Daryl, we're glad, that, uh, glad to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. In Jesus' name, we'll be turning. I'll be kind of camping out a little bit in chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Kings this morning. And my scripture text, I'll read a few verses out of 1 Kings chapter 2. And then I'll be flipping over to James uh, chapter 3. Thank God. I do want to say on behalf of my wife and I to all the ladies uh, from yesterday that we're, we're awfully thankful. We just felt so loved and overwhelming. Um, she would, uh, I, was, I, was, I was just wanted to enjoy my wife getting to enjoy a baby shower, and uh, she's been enjoying things every step of the way, and that's what I enjoy most of all seeing uh, the joy that she's having and there's more joy coming in a little over a month and uh, but but thank you from from me and my wife wanted to say thank you as well but there's joy in the Lord in this house today as brother Poole was alluding to a little bit earlier and that's the kingdom of God righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Ghost if you are 1 Kings chapter 2. If you're there, say amen, please. Amen. And I'll be reading beginning at verse number 31. First Kings chapter 2, verse number 31. And the king said unto him, Do as he hath said, King Solomon. And by the way, do as he hath said and fall upon him, him being Joab. More details on them coming during the message. And bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father, his father David. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head, who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, and slew them with the sword. My father David, not knowing thereof, to wit Abner, the son of Ner, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa, son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. Verse 33, their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever, but upon David and upon his seed and upon his house and upon his throne 
shall there be peace forever from the Lord. Along with that, the book of James, chapter number 3. James chapter number 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. And calling our attention to the first portion of verse number 17 there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. First pure, then peaceable. And I'm going to speak for a few moments this morning on the topic, first things first. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you again, Lord, for your presence that we felt in this house this morning, Lord God. Your presence has been here, Lord, and we're so grateful to get to experience it again. I pray right now, Lord, as the ministry of the Word begins to go forth, help me, Lord. Help me to follow the leading of your voice, your spirit, Lord Jesus, to say just the things that you'd have me to say, Lord, and I pray that your people would be fed, Lord, that your flock would be nourished, Lord. I pray, God, that somebody here, Lord, might be moved to repentance, Lord, might be moved, Lord, to, to, to deciding to be born again of the water and the spirit, we pray, Lord God. Let everything, God, be blessed in your name. In Jesus' name, somebody said amen today. Amen. You, you may be seated. First things first. And you may have noticed from this scripture, a common theme, these two scriptures I read, of peace uh, being talked about, and, and as I was reading recently in, in the book of 1 Kings, uh, these first two chapters of this book uh, really caught my attention, and I, I began to do a little word study on the word peace, and I looked at every use of it uh, throughout the Bible, and, and found some interesting things. Um, for one thing, there, there, was, there were differences between how that word was used in the Old Testament uh, versus uh, in the New Testament. Uh, in, in, in many places in the Old Testament, it's just ta- it's talking about peace offerings or simply holding your peace. But in the New Testament, there, there seems to be a new usage for this word peace. And I believe the reason for that new usage of the word peace is because we can now experience Acts 2.38 salvation. And when you have been born again of the water and the spirit, when you've been filled with the spirit of Almighty God, the same uh, spirit that we have felt uh, moving around here today, you can experience a peace that other people cannot experience. You can experience the peace that passes all understanding, uh, Paul said in Philippians uh, chapter uh, number 4. And, and also in the New Testament, interestingly, in, in the epistles, it, it's further evidence that these epistles are speaking to people that already have been born of the water and of the Spirit, when in these introductions, he's saying brethren, but he's also saying peace uh, unto you. It's kind of a new thing that we see in the New Testament. We don't see that uh, so much uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. But as I began to look into this, uh, one of the things that stood out to me through Scripture is, is a relationship between peace and righteousness uh, throughout Scripture. And one had to 
precede uh, the other. And there are a lot of scriptures talking about them. Psalm chapter 37 as an example, uh, Sister Kayla, in uh, verse number 37, says, Mark the perfect man. In other words, that's talking about uh, the man that is complete, not lacking uh, in area. Mark the perfect man. Righteousness included. Behold the upright, for the end uh, of that man is peace. We'll be talking a bit about uh, David and and Solomon, especially in in this message. In Psalm uh, chapter number 72, in fact, uh, David was writing this to Solomon. And in chapter uh, number 72 uh, of Psalm, beginning at verse number 2, please, Sister Kayla, says, He shall judge thy people with righteousness, and thy poor with judgment. Verse 3, please. The mountains shall bring peace to the people in the little hills. How? By righteousness. Verse number 7. In his days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long uh, as the moon endureth. We see this, this, this relationship between a peace and righteousness also, as I already mentioned in Romans chapter 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and and joy uh, in the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to have that peace and that joy unless I have righteousness uh, right there uh, alongside. Along with uh, this relationship we see with, with one preceding the other, you can say that the reverse is true because a main thing that will result in unrest, uh, whether we're talking on a large scale or, or on the personal uh, level, is unrighteousness. Uh, No wonder that in Genesis chapter 6, God was looking at at the world. He was distraught at what he saw, and and this was just before uh, uh, the ark of Noah, and people boarded it. The world was filled with wickedness and violence. It wasn't just violence. There was uh, wickedness uh, that was going on, and I dare say wickedness uh, must have preceded uh, violence. And we, we certainly see... Uh, no shortage of that type of thing going on in our present day. Uh, we see all sorts of uh, wickedness and unrest uh, in our midst. Really, over the last 120 years especially, we've been seeing it, it just, just skyrocket it, and, and violence uh, at the same time. We saw the, the beginning of the uh, 1900s. We saw, among other things, uh, women beginning to lop their hair off, uh, commonplace nowadays. Before that, that was not something you saw, by and large, in any culture the world over for centuries. Now, all of a sudden, uh, it's a mainstay. Um, uh, we saw Hollywood getting off of its feet. Uh, and believe you me, yes, it's a, it's a wicked place today, but likewise it was at that time, even in the time of silent pictures. There was all sorts of of evil and wickedness uh, permeating uh, that area and many other areas all over the world. Perhaps by no coincidence, in 1914, all of a sudden, we had World War I uh, break out. Prior to that, there had been many uh, wars, of course, uh, throughout centuries on end, whether you're talking about uh, the War of the Roses, going all the way back to uh, Alexander the Great, or all the way up to the American Revolution or the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, but, but through any of these wars, there may have been uh, deaths and casualties up to perhaps slightly exceeding a million people. All of a sudden, we have World War I, and we had 15 to 20 million people in one conflict died. 
and wickedness only proceeded from there. We had all sorts of things. We, see, we would begin to see women more and more uh, usurping the role of men as, as heads of households. Uh, we would see changes in dress in, in, in Western countries. We'd see uh, rock and, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the sexual uh, revolution, so forth. Not too long after the First World War, before that uh, point in time came, we had a Second World War. And this time, it wasn't just uh, 14 to, or 15 to 20 million. Now we're talking 50 to 70 million people that had died uh, all of a sudden. And I dare say from the time of World War II until today, uh, righteousness has not been uh, on the increase worldwide. I'm sure most people would be in agreement with that. And it's scary to think the wickedness that we see in the world today, uh, if indeed this correlation would continue with violence, what possibly could happen. We know in the Bible that it uh, talks about uh, one-third of men uh, being killed in, in a future war, which could be talking not just 50 to 70 men, we could be talking uh, in the billions. But very much, I believe, this has to do with this correlation we see between peace and righteousness uh, in Scripture. But the only true peace that we can find true peace is going to be found in the Word of God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. What the world has to offer, there's plenty of people. When there, when there are wars out there, you know, people, whether or not they've been born again in the water and the Spirit, when you've got soldiers out there and all of a sudden, in spite of what they've heard in the past of the glories of war and great heroes they read about, when they see human flesh dying before their eyes, it's a humbling and harrowing experience and it, it changes their mindset. Uh, to one form or another, and whether they know the Lord Jesus Christ or not, they're looking for peace. We're all looking for peace, truthfully, whether we, we uh, are aware of it or not. But what this world offers is not true peace. Convincing people that immoral lifestyles are acceptable ways to live and it's not going to hurt anybody is not a recipe for true uh, peace. Uh, if we're just tolerant, quote-unquote, of everybody, except for Christians, of course, uh, and then we can live in a world of harmony and peace, that is not, uh, that's a lie, first of all, and that is not uh, the way that we are going to achieve uh, true peace. Some people uh, believe, I'm thinking back maybe in the hippie days, John Lennon's coming to mind, well, if we uh, just use certain drugs and alter our state of consciousness uh, a little bit, then we can be... Uh, Doobie Brothers, as, as the, the, the band was called, and we can have peace. Hey, man, we're all relaxed now. We're on this drug. This is the way uh, that we can find peace. Uh, that is uh, not the case. You, the world's telling you, yeah, just do your drugs. Uh, shack up with your, your boyfriend uh, or, or your girlfriend. You're not hurting anybody. That's not true. How about this one? Abort your babies. If it's not convenient for you, if it's going to mess up your lifestyle and you're not going to be able to go out and do uh, the things you do. And there are states, uh, Colorado currently, wanting to legalize abortion up until birth. Unbelievable. My wife now getting closer and closer, you know, in the past, she'd say, hey, uh, Brian, put your hand right here. And, you know, I'd feel a little something like, oh, yeah, that's neat. And then, and then in the last couple weeks, she's like, here, Brian, uh, put, put your hand right here. And I put my hand right there, and little Brian's like, bam, here I am, <laughs> Dad. Look out, here I come. 
But you don't have to have this, this baby. It's your choice. And we just need to accept everybody for the way they live and the, and the choices uh, that they make. And then we'll be at peace. Lie. You know, the Antichrist is going to be preaching peace. How can you be against that? He's going to be uh, preaching peace, but the Bible says, by peace he shall destroy many, ironically, isn't it? How can you be against somebody? Oh, I, I stand for peace. That's hard to stand against that. Certainly in the public sphere, you'll be made to look like a fool nowadays. But when they shall say, peace and safety, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. The, the only true source of peace in this world is the Lord Jesus Christ. But how we receive this peace, how we get this peace, peace on a wide scale, but more importantly, peace right here at home, peace in your own heart, in your own life, peace for number one. You've got turmoil in your home, domestic issues, Brother Mike was, was alluding to, you've got um, financial issues that are causing uh, unrest. Jesus is the only way that you can have true peace through the storm. But we have to do things in his way and in his order if we want to have that peace. And with that, I want to get to this uh, scripture text in the book of 1 Kings. And beginning in, in chapter number 1 here, we see David. And there's this transition of power that's happening. As chapter number 1 starts out by describing David, King David, as being old and stricken in years. Now, not to offend anybody here, he was about 70, 71 years old. And the Bible describes him as being old and, and stricken in years. A little different than uh, when uh, Jacob was old and stricken in years, or Moses was old and stricken in years. Maybe perhaps as much with age, it had to do with the, the condition of his physical health. But the Bible says David was old and stricken in years, and there was this crisis on the hands of the nation of Israel, and it was a crisis of leadership. Who was going to lead? And there were some individuals in this kingdom uh, maybe that began to question uh, David's uh, leadership because it, it was not long uh, before then that, that he had decided to number uh, the armies. God was displeased with that, gave him three options. Uh, he chose uh, the shortest of those in time frame, but 70,000 people uh, perished uh, as a result of this decision that David had made. And perhaps some of these people closest to him had begun to question, does this guy know what he's doing anymore? He's old and stricken in years, uh, after all. The day's coming pretty soon. Uh, he's going to be gone. Who's going to be uh, reigning on the throne uh, after him? And David certainly, as we'll see, uh, desired to see that there was a, a smooth uh, transition. He did not want to see the nation of Israel devolve into a civil war as it had had uh, in, in years past. Uh, but he had a son by the name of Adonijah. And this was his oldest living uh, son at the time. And uh, Adonijah, uh, we see in 1 Kings 1, it says the Bible says he exalted uh, himself. Uh, Adonijah was, you might say, an opportunist. Um, an opportunist, perhaps being described as somebody that, that sees conditions that are just right and sees an opportunity to swoop in 
and do something in such a way that will benefit number one. Not looking out uh, more for, for the whole of the body and the overall good uh, of the kingdom, but looking out for number one. How could I exalt myself? How can I uh, promote myself? Not standing that the Bible uh, says promotion uh, comes from the Lord. And so he began to confer between verses uh, 5 and 10. We see in verse 7 he, can, he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah. There were several Joabs in Scripture, by the way, I believe five. He conferred with uh, Abiathar, uh, a priest. And uh, he also, let's see, well, those two are, I'm going to mention uh, mainly right here. Uh, I'll also address Shimei, but... What, what uh, Adonijah did, he called together military leader, which was, which was Joab. He called Abiathar uh, a religious leader. He called together all these leaders, people that, that, that he could get that would go along with him, and he decided, I'm going to make myself king here. We're going to have a transition of power. If, of power, well, it belongs to me. I don't care what the Lord said. He knew good and well that the Lord's revealed will was for Solomon to succeed his father, David. But he said, I'm going to step in here. He said, I am going to make uh, myself uh, the king. So he gathers powerful people, people of influence, except for those who were closest to David, except for the priest Zadok, except for uh, the prophet Nathan, and except for the captain of David's personal guard, whose name was uh, Benaiah. And he has this big celebration. They kill the fatted calf. Uh, everybody comes together and they, they celebrate and they start shouting, Hail, hail the king, all hail uh, King Adonijah. And wind of, of that got to some of these people uh, who were at this event. Uh, another person who was not at this celebration, uh, so to speak, was Solomon himself, uh, obviously. He was not invited to this. And Adonijah, his opportunity here was David's not in uh, good health. If he just maybe doesn't hear about this, passes away soon, David's the only guy that can stop me. He's on his deathbed. What's this guy going to do? He's old. He's stricken in years, uh, as the Bible said. He can't, he can't do anything. Well, the prophet Nathan got wind of this. And you may uh, remember the prophet Nathan when, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he saw her washing herself, that she was uh, beautiful to look upon. He went out and had her husband Uriah, the Hittite, killed, committed adultery uh, with her. And then the prophet Nathan uh, is, is the one that, that, that came to him. And Nathan uh, came and spoke to him because he, he knew what happened. And, and, and it's described in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12 uh, that, that, that he tells him about, about this ewe lamb that, that this man took and from, from this guy, who, and that was his only possession. What should we do to this man? The Bible said, David said, as the Lord liveth, the man that's done this shall surely die. That man's got to die. Not only that, he said, he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Words that will come back to haunt David, as I'll mention. And Nathan, the prophet, said, you're the man, David. And David fell to a place of repentance, a sincere repentance. Uh, I'll note, very different from, from Adonijah, very different from Joab. Uh, uh, as we shall see. Well, the prophet Nathan got wind of what was going on here with this celebration, and, and he found Bathsheba, uh, the mother uh, of Solomon. And they talked together. 
they realize, okay, we need to approach David. So Bathsheba goes and approaches the king. He still is the king. He's old and, and stricken in years and tells him uh, what's going on. Adonijah has made himself king. Didn't you say that, that Solomon uh, w- was to be king? Did the Lord say otherwise? Because I sure hadn't heard anything. And as she's saying that, then the prophet Nathan comes in. Bathsheba excuses herself. And the prophet Nathan uh, explains to David uh, the very same thing. Adonijah is making himself king. Adonijah has seen an opportunity to prop himself up. Uh, has seen an opportunity uh, to enrich himself. King David, you're, you're on your deathbed, but is this something that you're just going to allow to happen? And David had enough of his faculties that it came to him, no, no, I'm going to do something. And he did it swiftly. And he gave out some instructions. And uh, he, told, uh, he told them to set Solomon upon his mule. And he'll go, he'll go riding uh, down the way. And that uh, Nathan and, uh, excuse me, Zadok, the high priest, were going to anoint him. They're going to have this oil and they're just going to pour it upon him. And it will be known that indeed uh, David has seen that Solomon will be the one to succeed him on the throne. And the Bible says that this was done. And in fact, it says in verse number 38, chapter 1, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites. These were, so he was the captain of David's personal guard. Cherethites and Pelethites were, were his uh, mighty men, the, the, his armies that he led, uh, if you will. They caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And the people rejoiced. And then in verse 41 we see that Adonijah and all the guests that were with him heard it as they had made an end of eating. They were less than a mile away from one another and they heard this celebration going on. And then we see a young man by the name of Jonathan comes up there and tells Abiathar, the, the priest who had gone along with this treasonous plot, he tells him uh, what has happened. You're making a mistake here. Solomon has been anointed king. Adonijah is not your king. Your king is right over there uh, down the road. And immediately all these people who were with Adonijah began to flee from him. Perhaps they saw they were with him for this plot. Perhaps they saw the opportunity likewise. As he ascends to power, we'll be able to get things to him. I, hey, buddy, I know you. What can you do for me? Well, all these people that were his friends now, they understood the fearful condition they were in, and they began to scatter away from him. In verse 49, and all the guests that were with Adonijah were afraid and rose up and went every man his way. In verse number 50 of chapter 1 says, And Adonijah feared because of Solomon, and arose and went and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for he's caught hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me this day that he'll not slay his servant with the sword. Now, when we see this expression, catching hold of the horns of the altar, we've heard that talked about many times. That's talking about the, the brazen altar. And on the corners of the, this altar, there were horns at four uh, positions. And prior to the six cities of refuge being established, if somebody was, was uh, guilty of manslaughter, I suppose you could say, somebody had killed an individual, 
yet it was an accident, they could go to one of these cities of refuge and they would be safe until they could get a fair hearing. Prior to those cities of refuge, they could go to the altar and grab hold of these horns of the altar. It was the same principle. They could find asylum uh, in this place. The altar, of course, however, is an altar of repentance. Those horns were also used to help affix or tie down sacrifices that were placed uh, upon the altar. And one of the big issues uh, that we see or we will see is this repentance of Adonijah was not a true repentance. When the prophet Nathan said to David, you're the man, he fell to repentance. And we have Psalm chapter 51 uh, as evidence of that. Adonijah was just looking to save his own skin. He was not sorry for what he had done. In fact, he was going to continue plotting with this treasonous plot uh, as, as we see this story uh, continue. And so Solomon yet had mercy on him. He, he made this plea to Solomon. Solomon did not have to do that. He could have immediately executed righteous judgment and said, no, Adonijah, you're worthy of death, you're gone. And it would have been righteous uh, judgment on his part, but he gave him a chance. He said, okay, uh, go to your house. And we see in chapter 2 now, David is getting especially close to death. And at the beginning of chapter number 2 in verse Kings, he's uh, giving some final instructions to his son, uh, King Solomon. Uh, David, again, he did this for a number of reasons to ensure that Solomon was the king. For one thing, if Adonijah was successful in his plot, Solomon and Bathsheba would have been killed. For another thing, David had the big picture in his mind, knowing full well that the Redeemer of all mankind was going to come uh, through his lineage and through the lineage uh, of Israel, and this lineage had to be protected. This lineage was not going to be passing uh, through Adonijah. But he's giving him some, some, some instructions on his deathbed, if you will. and you can imagine what you might say to, to your son or your daughter uh, if you are lying on your deathbed and, and just giving them some final words, you're not going to say, well, how did the cardinals do yesterday? Um, are you going to have tacos or hamburgers later? You know, He's only going to be talking about the most important things. This is his son. And he said in verse 2, I go the way of all the earth. In other words, he's going to be dying soon. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. He said, keep charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways. Keep his statutes and his commandments. This is the kind of thing you might be saying to your son or daughter as some, some last instructions to them. The most important things. Obey the commandments of the Lord. Follow his word. Make sure that you're in alignment with his will and his plan and his purpose in your life. And he gave further instructions because, because he was aware uh, of some issues that were going on in the kingdom. And as I said, he wanted to protect his nation. He didn't want it to descend into civil war again. And he needed to protect this lineage from which the Messiah uh, was going to be coming. And so he gave him a few men uh, to mark. And he specifically uh, mentioned Joab, who had been loyal to David for many years. He was his, his top general, yet at the same time this was a brutal man. Uh, as I read in our scripture text, uh, he had killed Amasa. He had killed a number of people, uh, not righteously, but in cold blood, and indeed it was murder. He had innocent uh, blood on his hands, and this affected the entire nation of Israel. 
And he also uh, told him, and Joab, by the way, was within that conspiracy that I just mentioned. He also warns him about a young man by the name of Shimei. Now, of the people that were with David in this conspiracy, uh, with Adonijah in this conspiracy, Shimei was not one of them. Not that he was not a conspirator, but he did not want Adonijah to become king. He was a descendant of Saul, and he wanted that lineage to be restored to Saul, again, notwithstanding uh, what the word of the Lord had said. And so David gave his son Solomon these instructions uh, before he passed, and then it says, David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And anyone that's been to Israel, by the way, if you got to visit what's called the upper room, it's traditionally thought the burial place of David is right beneath that, that upper room. And, and I got to go visit that, although our tour guide was quite open in saying they're really not certain if that's exactly uh, the place where, where David was buried. Solomon's kingdom has now been established. David has passed on. David had made him king while he was still alive, so he was co-regent with his father David. David is now gone. Solomon's the king. He's been given these instructions uh, by his father, and he has to do with those uh, what he will. He's been made aware of this conspiracy that has already uh, occurred uh, within his kingdom, and so his antenna was already up a little bit. And here comes uh, David's oldest living son yet again, uh, Adonijah, and he thought of another idea because he's just conspiring. Solomon gave him a chance, but he goes to Bathsheba, the queen mother, and we often think of Bathsheba just in uh, not so good of terms, you know. She's out washing herself and, and the, the adulterous thing. She was a respected woman uh, at this point, and this was the queen mother uh, uh, now at this particular period of time, and she was a woman of influence. And no doubt this is partly why Adonijah went to her, and he, he said to her, hey, I have a request of you. Don't deny me. Okay, what is it? Give me Abishag to be my wife. Abishag was a concubine of David. And this was a, would be a symbolic thing, as this was a concubine of the now deceased king, that if this man was to take this woman, who now had been separated to royalty, to be his wife, it was more or less a declaration to anyone around him that this is the king. He was trying to sow these seeds of confusion and discord yet again. He was still plotting to make his way uh, up, up the ranks and to become uh, king himself. Some writers that I looked into believe that Bathsheba was, was naive in all this, that, well, she didn't know what was going on, and she went to Solomon and, and gave this request. I don't really think that's the case. I think, I do believe that she... Uh, uh, recognized what he was asking because, remember, her life was in danger as well as Solomon's if he uh, acceded to the kingship, if Adonijah did. And so Bathsheba uh, went to Solomon and, and gave this request, and Solomon immediately recognized this seditious plot uh, on the part of Adonijah. And he said, more or less, what Adonijah has just done in asking for the hand of Abishag to wife, he has signed his own death warrant. And he sent Benaiah, his top general at this time. And the Bible says Benaiah fell on him and Adonijah was killed. In regard to David, and he said, well, to, to, to Nathan, well, he should restore that lamb fourfold. David was deceased now and did not see it, but now he had restored that lamb fourfold because his baby had passed away 
with Bathsheba. He lost Amnon because Absalom murdered uh, Amnon. Absalom had been killed. Joab was the one that killed Absalom. And now Adonijah. Fourfold, his own words were fulfilled. How David uh, repaid the debt for his sins. And so Adonijah is now gone. And word of this had spread. And Abiathar uh, found out about this. That was the, the priest a false priest, if you will, at this time. Uh, he had been loyal to David. Solomon recognized this. Solomon sent uh, Abiathar a few miles away, demoted him, if you will, and uh, allowed him to continue with certain parameters uh, upon him. However, Joab uh, was a different story. And Joab was uh, fearful when he found out uh, what had happened to uh, Adonijah. He realized, okay, He's dead, I'm next. And he did the same thing that Adonijah did. And in chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. We see that expression again. And he was seeking asylum. He was not truly repentant in his heart, um, uh, David, on the other hand, after Na the prophet Nathan said, you're the man, uh, was sincere in his repentance. David had a heart of contrition when, when he was repenting. Uh, Joab uh, did not. And it was told King Solomon uh, what, he what he did. And Joab more or less was mocking him. He grabs hold of these horns of the altar in arrogance. He's, he's like, well, you can't kill me here. And word was sent to Solomon. And Solomon said, oh, yes, I can. And that's exactly where Benaiah fell on him. And Benaiah was not just a general, he was a Levite. So he was able uh, to follow through on that. And in verse 33 of our scripture, a text, he said, Their blood shall return, therefore, upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever. I'm getting to the point here. But upon David, upon his seed, upon his house and his throne shall there be peace uh, forever from the Lord. And there was yet after this one more issue to deal with, and that was Shimei, as I mentioned. And Shimei had cursed uh, David. All of these uh, individuals were guilty uh, of treasonous plots one way or another. All of them were worthy of death uh, as a result of a righteous judgment. Shimei, of course, again, wanted to restore that lineage uh, to King Saul. And Solomon again put a stop to that. It was Benaiah again that he sent and uh, ended the life. It says he fell upon uh, Shimei. So this transition of the kingdom that we've seen from King David to King Solomon uh, would be complete here. But then the question has to be asked, I thought Solomon was, was, was a man of peace. The, the name Solomon means peaceable. It means uh, peaceful. As a matter of fact, in First Chronicles chapter 22, beginning of verse 7, David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house under the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars. Innocent blood. Uriah the Hittite, remember. Thou shalt not build a house under my name, 
because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. And in verse, verse, uh, chapter 28 of First Chronicles, it says it was in David's heart to build a house to the Lord. Same ra- rationale is given why he could not build that house. Blood, innocent blood, was upon his hand and upon others within the kingdom of Israel. Verse 9, Behold, a son shall be born to thee, this is Solomon, who shall be a man of rest, a peaceful man. I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. I thought this was a man of peace. How come the first thing he did when he, he uh, became the king is order three men dead? Is that a man of peace? It is a man of peace. He was indeed a man of peace. And the reason is that peace that the kingdom of Israel needed so that that temple could be built was brought about by first dealing with unrighteousness in Israel. He first dealt with unrighteousness in the land. He restored righteousness to the land of Israel and then peace could be brought about. And this is on the grand scale and that temple Uh, could now be built under the Lord that David had in his heart to build. But this same principle we see, brothers and sisters, is true on the personal level. Uh, Seek ye first, the Bible says, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, including peace, shall be added unto you. I must deal with my own unrighteousness before I can attain true inner peace. How do I do that? I need his righteousness applied to my life. And Jesus said an interesting thing in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 34. Think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. What, the prince of peace did not come to send peace? Same things repeated in Luke chapter 12. Think not that I came to send peace. And in that uh, verse, Luke says, he came not to send peace, but rather division. Jesus came to send division and a sword? Well, yes, he did. He came to bring peace, but that was not the initial thing that happened. The first thing Jesus had to do was deal with unrighteousness, and he dealt with the unrighteousness of all mankind when he paid the price for that unrighteousness at Calvary. When he was nailed to that cross and his own blood was shed, he paid for the sins of all mankind. He dealt with that righteousness, that unrighteousness, and Jesus Christ literally became the Prince of Peace. So in other words, Jesus came first of all to deal with the sin and unrighteousness of all mankind that he could bring peace, a peace that passes understanding in the New Testament church that you and I can experience today. In Jesus' name, no wonder uh, it's a component of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Number three, the fruit of the Spirit is love, uh, joy, and peace. Jesus literally is the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Shall we stand? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 33 tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Well, you could state that clearly in other words. He is the author of peace. He is the prince of peace, and he is uh, the author of peace. And as Brother Poole uh, was pleading earlier, as he's being led by the Spirit, 
If there's somebody in this house and you need peace in your life today, again, this was not just talking about the grand scale, but, we, but what was talked about on the grand scale in 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2 definitely applies uh, to the individual life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. God can give you a peace that passes understanding. When you're born again in the water of the Spirit, you can experience a peace that this world can never know. It's a special privilege uh, that, that we have uh, that is available to us only through Acts 2.38 and through uh, living of a holy life. Philippians 4.7, Paul wrote, The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. How? Through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I just want to ask this morning, if there is anybody in this house, maybe you've never been born again of the water and the Spirit. Maybe you've never repented of your sins. If, I want, if I'm dealing with all sorts of turmoil in my life, I can't put the cart uh, before the horse. I may have come to a few services uh, at this church and decided, hmm, I want to do uh, big things for God. I want to go out and, and do this and that, and yet I've not repented of my sins and been baptized in Jesus' name filled with His Spirit. I've put that, that cart before the horse. I've got to deal with unrighteousness first. What are you calling me unrighteousness? Uh, are you calling me un- unrighteous? We're all unrighteous. All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us, every man, woman, and child, every one of us needs this Acts 2.38 experience. And if, if you could name what is all sorts of things. There's so much turmoil, wickedness, violence in the earth. But there's things in our own spheres. I mean, it could be financial issues. It could be domestic uh, problems that, that are just leading to a lack of peace in your life. And you're just thinking, I just need peace. You can have that this morning. If you have never repented of your sins today, I want to invite you to this altar today. You can kneel down. And as David did in Psalm chapter 51, just pour out your heart to the Lord. And tell the Lord with a heart of contrition, Lord, I'm turning away from the old man. Come right now, please. You don't have to wait. Come right down to this altar. And just kneel before the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. Lord, I'm turning in another direction. Lord God, I'm going to walk towards you. I'm going to walk away from the things of this world. The the, the, the pleasures, things that, that please the flesh. That's not stuff that's going to bring true peace. I want true peace, Lord God, and I want to deal with my unrighteous condition today. I invite you to this altar. If you have been born again in the water of the Spirit, and yet you're lacking some peace in your life, you've got access to it because of the Holy Ghost that's inside of you. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You're invited uh, to this altar and to talk to the Lord today. Maybe there's some uh, little thing uh, in your heart that you do need to deal with. You know, Paul said, I die daily. Paul was a pretty good guy. If Paul had to die daily, I certainly need to repent uh, every day, and I do. Uh, every single day, I invite you uh, to this altar. Maybe you've done that, but, but just talk to the Lord. Ask Him. Ask Him to help you if you need uh, peace in your life, if you need Him to move into your situation as a, as a born-again believer in the name of Jesus Christ and of the blood that He shed for us uh, at Calvary. Just begin to lift your hands to the Lord and talk to him. Seek him right now today. Would you begin to sing, please? In Jesus' name.